Hello and welcome to Loving Legacy. I bet you thought I'd forgotten you, didn't you? Well, sorry to abandon you for your six months or so. It's been a while, but life has got in the way, as things do. However, I'm still convinced that Loving Legacy is something we all need to do. And even more so from having worked in uh, development teams and DevOps teams in the last six months or so, I've seen a real need for us to understand better how we can improve the way that we see platforms internally within our software engineering organizations. To that end, I gave a talk last week in Amsterdam all around platforms and platform engineering, what a platform is, and how we can support platform teams better in our organizations. It's a discussion of a slide presentation that I gave, so he's going to miss something from the visual element. However, stick with it. I will link the slides and the YouTube in the show notes, and I do suggest having a listen and having a think, and uh, check the slides out too. Good to be back. Thanks for your patience. Without further ado, here's the discussion. Hi there. So I gave this talk last week in Amsterdam, and it wasn't recorded, so I thought I'd just go through some of the slides here, so in case anyone missed it and they were interested, they could catch up on this medium. So the talk was called That One Script You Wrote Is Now a Platform, um, and it's walks through some of the experiences that I've had when that has actually happened, when a script has become a whole platform, um, and what the platform means essentially as well. So diving into um, how that is useful in a development, software development perspective, and how we sometimes don't recognize that, and sometimes maybe over-recognize that, and make it too complicated when it should be a lot simpler than it is. Um, to kind of bring some ideas around that to the front of the presentation, I created this um, artwork with the help of Midjourney, of course. I didn't create it myself. And the prompt was an abstract notion of, um, abstract cartoon notion of a tiny platform above a complicated world swirling in colors below. And the idea there is that, of course, you get this complex world somewhere, usually below the level of the platform. And you abstract that, you create a level for the development teams to be able to build on top of that which hopefully is less stressful for them, requires less work from their perspective and makes um, their lives easier, but then the organization's delivery a bit smoother. So that's the concept I wanted to get across in this talk. Was it successful? I'm not entirely sure. And as I go through the slides, I'll probably pick out some of the elements which I thought were probably less or more successful. Um, I found out on the night. It was the first time I gave the talk. and I was a bit nervous at one point in particular. I'll point that out um, where I felt it didn't work. Um, but for the rest, I thought it was pretty good. It kind of connected, had some great questions afterwards as well. So I'm really inter- interested to hear what you think as well. Please let me know. So, short introduction to me. Um, DevOps engineer. I build lots of products, um, but mainly internal stuff these days. Used to work on stuff that was more customer facing. Um, To be honest, I've always worked on internal tooling, I guess, probably even since my first job. Um, So inevitably, I got involved with DevOps, with CICD automation, um, and that has led on to other topics. I, I develop less software these days but I definitely am very keen on the organization side aspects and the way that 
relates to teams as well. So socio-technical systems becomes something that I talk about a lot. Hence team topologies, which I've since recently become an advocate for, which means just I have a badge because I talk about them a lot. Um, and I like the book. Um, and I've gone through quite a few big transformations. So big digital technology platform transformations in organizations and seen essentially through that kind of top-down approach, how they can be less effective um, potentially because, yeah, you end up trying to train teams to become DevOps and essentially DevOps is something which you can kind of, you have to get a feeling for. And I think reorganizing yourself along the, the lines that Team Topologies suggests is a great way to get more people feeling that they own a DevOps organization. So as part of that, I work a lot on automation. I work a lot on understanding where things are um, hurting us as a developer organization, how things could go faster, more efficient. And that usually means, yeah, finding out how we can automate stuff, but also providing pr products and platforms which will enable teams to move faster themselves. I shared this slide as well, just to, for a bit more background. Um, this is the second talk that I've done this year. Second talk that I've done on a kind of a development or developer basis this year, I would say, like giving tools to developers. Um, the previous talk I did, I gave in We Are Developers in July in Berlin, where I met uh, John Romero, um, which was great, great thrill for me because I played a lot, played Doom a lot when I was at uni. Um, and in that talk, I talked about five habits for building great software. And in this talk, again, I think I'm thinking more trying to generate the ideas of daily habits. I'm not sure if I touched on that enough, but maybe that's a good theme for the future. So to be fair, I think these next two slides probably oh, I threw in at the wrong end of the talk. This is where I started to lose my track a little bit earlier on, but um, early on in the, in the presentation. But team topologies is important to me because in a couple of words, it kind of connects the dots a lot for me the, from the things that I was missing, I guess, um, from other books that I've read around, yeah, I mean, agile stuff we've had a, a lot of it, had enough of it. And I think the kind of the deconstructive or the, um, uh, yeah, re reductionist is the word I'm looking for. Reductionist approach to organization in development organizations is proven not to work. I think really we've had a lot of discussion around agile, scrum, Kanban, whatever. It doesn't for me really matter. We're still out there doing the work every day. So what can we do from an organizational point of view to support that work? I think that's what team topologies is really about for me. And it's got that level of human interaction and human humanness about it, which enables us to acknowledge the fact that we're just people in organizations trying to build software together. And how do we do this best? By organizing ourselves in a way that achieves, that helps us achieve that. And that's essentially for me what team topologies is all about, all about and why it's so vital. Um, I like this overview as well, which says it's not about certifications. It's a kind of reaction really in some ways to the agile world and how that has kind of gone awry. If you see safe on the one hand, the scaled agile framework has the kind of antithesis of team topologies, despite the fact it's, it's actually appropriated a lot of the team topologies ideas inside it. 
the whole kind of top-down management approach that SAFE takes um, is the complete opposite of what we actually want to do in order to achieve faster flow. So then I shared this slide, which um, is probably familiar to many of you if you've worked in software development over the last five years or so, or 10 years, um, about dependency. And the point I wanted to put across in this slide was around that the dependency purely isn't on the project or the open, the open source project or whatever, the way that we see it, the code. Dependency is not on the code, it's on the person. So if you see that project as a person with all of this weight of dependency upon their shoulders, even though they might not feel it because it's just an open source thing they've thrown out. In an organization, we're getting paid to do our work. There is a person in that position, creating a platform and supporting it. So we do need to think about that the human aspect of the platform that we create when we create it, because inevitably, if it doesn't work according to um, how we advertise it, and we have a lot of dependency on it in our organization, then it can cause a lot of stress. So now a couple of definitions of what a platform is, and these are quite famous, the ones that are knocked around. Um, typically, um, currently, but I, and I think they are good. And I think Matthew's um, description is, is a nice truncation or a simplification of the one above. Um, and they're both completely right as well. Um, but the one thing I wanted to talk about in this talk in particular is how we don't always plan things. So despite the fact that team topologies, for example, is a good thing in which we, in where, where we can think about how our organization should improve in order to help our flow of software, we should also use the existing constraints that we see in an organization to help understand and inform the products that we create. Um, the platforms that we create as products for our developers. Therefore, this was something I came up with last Thursday, as I was thinking about this more deeply, as I was putting the slides together, that a platform isn't always planned. It can be an engineering reaction to an organizational constraint. And I would say typically this is how it arises. So rather than thinking of, a, of the platform as um, something that we design upfront or that we think about um, as a tactical or even strategic solution to a problem that we have or a perceived problem that we have, something sometimes it just arrives and we have to deal with it in that way. Then looking at a couple of approaches. So this was um, from a YouTube that I saw from, and it's linked from Armin Dadger, who's one of the founders of HashiCorp. So Terraform guy, basically. Um, and this is, he goes through explaining how a platform could fit into the Terraform or the tool-based model of the world. And that's neat, and it's great to see this. So I would recommend that you watch at least some of this, um, of the, some of the, that YouTube. Um, and it's great to have that context and that background. However, platforms are not always as neat as this. And this was the, the point I was uh, reiterating from the previous slide. Similarly, um, this talk from Dave Farley was... Uh, really useful. It also did mention team topologies um, in uh, regarding building platform teams. And it also brought up two types of platforms or how they come about. Um, and he mentions the ivory tower approach or the ivory tower method or the way it's um, created and also the um, 
what is it? One sec, it's in my notes, I down here. Um, the design by accident approach. So those are two, yeah, the design by accident basically being this is something that we've come across and we have to kind of build it as we go. So we've come across an engineering problem. We create a platform off the back of that because we know we need to solve that as opposed to the ivory tower approach. And I was interested to hear that because it's very much how I feel as well about how platforms come about. Um, however, I did go into a few more types, which kind of overlap those and, and each other, which I'll touch on shortly. Um, and another slide just to kind of ram down everyone's throats, how it is quite confusing when it comes to mentioning platforms. So there is a lot of types of platforms that we hear about. What does it mean in a DevOps organization when we're talking about platforms? Therefore, what would you say you do here? What exactly is the role of the platform engineer? What is exactly the role of the, yeah, the DevOps engineer, if that person exists in your organization? And how does that come about? And sometimes it's good to know that you indeed are the platform. So, Again, I think ordering-wise, I probably shouldn't have put this one in, but anyway, good to go over Conway's Law for those who don't know it. Mel Conway created a paper, wrote a paper in 1967, which is quite famous now, especially in socio-technical circles. Um, and Ruth Milan, in a foreword to Team Topologies, rewrote it like this, which says, the, if the architecture of the system, the architecture of the organization are at odds, the architecture of the organization wins. Um, so basically, understanding how your organization is set up will help, will help you inform, or at least help you understand how your systems came about. Um, this is a precursor to the next slide, which is essentially how we discover where the platform team comes about, uh, where, where it comes about and how it comes about and where it fits in. Okay, so just taking a step back, we talk about how do we end up where we are. We start with some people who want to make some money and they think maybe making a, making money could be, could be done by building a software product. So they build a software product and the product makes some money and that's great. However, then they either want to make some more money or their investors want to make some more money or their customers need some more stuff in that product or for many reasons, they have to grow or they decide they want to grow as a company to, in order to further this product in order to make, make it bigger. So therefore they look at creating a bigger organization. So they hire people and people tend to fall into a nice kind of pattern underneath each other, a hierarchy. And before you know it, even before very long, you can get in, into a situation where you end up in an organization like this with leadership at the top then some silos according to what the functions are in the organization. And then you end up with IT down the bottom, typically servicing all of these various requirements above. If you think back to the dependency um, slide, then you can see already that there is pressure from above for IT to deliver. Whatever IT is in this case, it could be external, it could be um, internal, but partly outsourced. It could be some development teams. It could be just bought software. But as the organization continues to grow, 
then the needs of the silos and the leadership become more sophisticated. Then potentially um, development teams will pop up within those silos and they won't necessarily talk to each other or even know about each other to begin with. However, they will all have requirements which are given to them by their own silos and potentially by leadership and potentially by IT as well. And they will have to deal with those requirements and build systems and integrate them with the, the other silos and external systems as they go. So if we look at those dev teams that are kind of scattered with our organization, the ones that have just kind of appeared or grown there, then we might start to notice some people in those dev teams who tend to stick out. Um, those are people with maybe broader knowledge, uh, ones that are kind of more open to communication with other teams, aware of the organizational constraints or aware of the organization, the wider organization. And those people might be termed as DevOps engineers or DevOps types or DevOps or operations slash devs, dev people. Um, and at some point or other, the leadership may look at the dev teams with these types in them um, and say, it's good that we have these people who are very willing to kind of work with each other and think of the bigger picture. And wouldn't it be great if they all worked together in a team? It'd be much more efficient. Um, and this is based on my experience of what I've seen in, in, in industry. Um, typically, there are people like this who may not want the job, but do end up being the de facto person in the team who does the more upsy stuff. Maybe it's the packaging and releasing. Maybe it's the supporting um, users. It may be a rotating role, but typically there's one person who has a kind of interest in it in a team. And these people can end up being put by leadership into a de facto platform team, as I call it, which is just taken from those teams and created a kind of a packaging release supporting kind of maybe third line support, second, third line support kind of team as well. So what happens next? Well, that team can then find themselves kind of squidged between existing silos and IT and leadership and essentially getting overloaded. So they will get lots of pressure from the dev teams to do stuff for them, maybe even build platforms, and also from IT to help with reporting and whatever. And then on top of that, you'll end up leadership also asking for reporting and building stuff because the, that team typically will have people who have broad knowledge, um, an attitude which says, yes, I don't mind doing this kind of stuff, rather than the kind of heads down, let's just build something towards a product for much more kind of a can-do attitude, like I say. But this, however, can lead to this goodwill, this good nature of the people in these teams um, being overloaded. And typically, that can mean that people will move on. The team can either disband or cycle through a lot of people um, quite regularly and quickly, can lose their leadership. Maybe the PO is removed or replaced. Um, it can lead to a lot of stress. And it can lead to things just being glued together, glued up through this one dependence. And for me, this is a sign. I mean, I've seen this in multiple organizations. Um, if there's, uh, and sometimes this is down to the, maybe the, the scaling framework that they've used, if they are using agile, and I've seen this happen in safe, there is the system team that exists in safe. And that in itself is almost a de facto platform team in that case, because they are expected to fill in a lot of gaps. Um, 
and this can be seen as a failing DevOps team, even though it's not really a DevOps team, it because that shouldn't really exist. Um, and it's not failing either. It's doing its very best to try and service all these requests. But that is actually a symptom that your organization is sick rather than anything else. It's just the fact that you've not aligned yourself correctly in order to help those people who want to do the good work for you um, do that in a manner which they can actually do effectively and sustainably. And this does touch on the DevOps topologies work that Matthew Skelton did in 2013, which was became the basis for team topologies. So this is the DevOps team's antitypes and the DevOps team's patterns which can work. Um, I didn't go into these in the presentation and I won't go into them here, but there's a link. I do recommend that you have a look through them and see if they can they ring any bells or you have um, some recognition about them in your own organization. And to link to back to what I mentioned earlier about types or anti-patterns of platform teams that I have noticed, similarly to what Dave Farley said, there are multiple types of platform teams which aren't really working, or platform teams, de facto DevOps teams, any of those types. Um, these can be the jack-of-all-trades teams, simply overloaded teams, the fortress team I've come across against as well, which has basically been put into a box by management, and SAFE again does lend to this particularly whereby it doesn't really matter what you do with inside that team. The organization is either thrilled or disgusted with what you do in some ways, and they will just work with whatever crumbs that will come from it. Um, perhaps the team is abandoned, it was well-intentioned, or perhaps it has just grown organically into what it, what it is. And there's m multiple subtypes or types within those. I mean, essentially, if you look at these descriptions, they are kind of almost feelings of teams that they, they have a taste a feel you know to them which says this is not a good place for us to be in right now we feel like this is we can't work effectively um and it's a cry a help, cry for help to management to sort it out to step in there and say okay how can we rearrange this to make it more effective to make the people who work in these teams lives better but also to unstick our organization so with that doom and gloom story out of the way, although I have to say, I recognise it and I hope some of you do recognise it. Unfortunately, it is prevalent in our industry, so I hope we can at least recognise this type and maybe do something about it. So with that in mind, I did put down a few words or linked together a few words around how to build a successful platform in brackets team, because essentially this is the same for any team. Um... Firstly, productize your services, and that's very easy to say, but very difficult to do, I think. And that, in itself, this one slide is just a very glib way of saying, think about how you're delivering stuff internally within your organization, and it will require a lot of work to understand what that means. Linked to that, you'll need to understand what your products are as a platform team as well. Is it a person who is a dependency for a lot of other teams, a product that you need to create or you already have created and you just need to roll out better? Is it just a script? Is it a wiki entry? Do you need to implement, for example, an IDP like Black Backstage? Do you have other requirements? Is it something that bespoke that you can create and turn into another product? This is the product thinking that is going to help unstick your 
platform team in the end. As Team Topologies recommends, building the thinnest viable platform is a great way forward. So once you've done that um, mental work of understanding that you have a platform team and maybe it's struggling, and also then identifying some of the products or identifying some of the ways that you like this team to work with other teams, then what's the minimum amount of work that you can do to build something which will enable team to effectively support other teams? And that is what the thinnest viable platform is essentially around. There are plenty of links. I may put some underneath this post actually that will hook that up for you, make it more real. I didn't go into it again in this talk. I'm just putting the idea out there. Um, additionally, Team Topologies also mentions the Team API template, which I think is very useful to be able to understand how your team is set out, how it interacts, how it interacts with other teams, how it wishes to be communicated with with other teams in your organization it's a powerful way for teams to platform teams in particular to understand what their purpose is within the organization and define those boundaries so that other teams can work with them in an effective way additionally the tension and that in the previous slide where i showed the arrows pushing down into the platform team um if you're working with products a lot and you, as a platform team, you've decided that you want to build some products, that can be quite exciting. It's quite a nice thing to be able to work on something independently. A thought I had when I was writing this as well was that the uh, platform team in itself is almost the perfect streamlined team for team topologies because its audience is right there in front of it. It also has all of the tools around it that it typically needs to be able to build that product. Therefore, it should be able to recycle or iterate the ideas from customer to product very quickly therefore in some ways it has the perfect environment to become a very efficient streamlined team however it also typically has an overload from operational work and that tension between the operational overload or operational work and this planned product work is actually quite useful because it will help the team if it's smart if it thinks about itself enough it's aware enough about itself to be able to say, okay, I'm working on this product, but we have a lot of operational work. Is it a wise thing to work on this product or shall I switch? Do we need a new product? You know, kind of that kind of thinking. Again, product thinking around how the team works. This can inform how the team should actually go forward. And just to finish off, I had a few tips um, and thoughts around how the platform team fits in to the organization. And I think this um overview basically it just shows how vital platforms are to the engineering organization so it does sit at the the center i would say of lots of things um particularly engineering products and customer in this case um this diagram i didn't give too much thought to but i'd be i'd love to hear your feedback on it if you think this is correct or incorrect or if you've seen something similar to this which is better um, it was literally a, a work of a few minutes, but it might be useful to somebody. I'd love to have some feedback on this in particular. Secondly, as I mentioned before already, product thinking, defining your customer, focusing on the user experience in particular, self-service, TVP. Again, I'll put some links to TVP and what it means to drill into that below, hopefully, or in the linked blog post. Um, and finally... Again, this is another question mark I had around this talk, Conway's Law Cognitive Load. 
I did have a few slides in here around cognitive load. I think even probably I'm overloading this presentation with too much theory as it is. So I probably need to peel it back a bit. I would love also your feedback on that and if this makes sense. Um, but the points I do want to get across are about how platform teams can work, defining their boundaries, protecting your service levels as a consequence. So again, the team API idea. Um, and something else that I haven't touched upon until this point, but about actively reducing scope. So making your platform team even tighter, even more effective in understanding what it needs to provide for a software engineering organization. And with that, I wrapped it up. I'll look at the clock here, 27 minutes. So this is about the same amount of time that I took for the presentation on the night. So I think I've touched most of the points. Um, there is a link. The QR code probably still works, but I will link it also below in the um, in this video. Love to hear your comments, and thank you for joining me.